Lord God, Heavenly Father, you are great. Lord God, we, we do thank you for who you are. We thank you that you allow us to even be part of who you are, to, to be in you, Lord God, to be a part of your body. You are the head, we are the body, Lord God, and I thank you. I thank you for even allowing us to come before you. Through your son, we gain access, Lord God, through your beautiful son, Jesus Christ, we, we get to come before you, Lord. Lord God, I just ask that um, you will be with us today, that you will be honored and glorified, um, Lord, as you've already been honored and glorified in us lifting up our voices to you in song. There's, there's something about the, the saints raising their voice in unity to worship you, Lord. Lord, I pray that it is a that is a fragrant incense to you. Lord God, again, I just ask that um, this time will honor you, will glorify you. And I ask it in your son's holy name. In Jesus Christ's holy name, I pray. Amen. All right, all, you can be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning, Mercy Hill. Good morning, guests. Um, a lot of familiar faces out there today. A lot of new faces out there too, which is, which is exciting. Um, for those of you that are new, welcome. Um, it's it's great to have have new faces join us um, any Sunday that that you come out. Um, just a brief introduction. Not going to dive into it too much. Um, for those of you that are new, uh, my name is Brad Frakowski. I am one of the pastoral interns here at Mercy Hill, um, and I get asked every once in a while to, to come up and, and present the word to you, and it is, it, is a, it is truly, truly a blessing. I don't even think I can put into words how much of a blessing it is. To stand before you and get to uh, represent our Lord. So, I apologize for that. I always apologize for being emotional. A lot of people tell me not to. I do anyways. So, um, if you've been following along, if you've been, if you've been attending frequently, um, either here or out the theater, you would know um, that we are working our way through the book of Romans. Um, or you may even be following along with our podcasts, or we've been recently posting videos to YouTube. Um, and again, just working through the book of Romans. Um, today, we come upon chapter 13. Um, it's, it's probably somewhat hard to believe. I hope that um, us going through this study has been a blessing to each and every one of you. Um, we're already in October. We're running quick. We got November and December left to wrap this up. So um, we're diving into chapter 13 today. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7. So if you have your Bibles with you, or if you use an electronic device, however it is that you follow along, um, if you would like to turn there now. Again, we are in the book of Romans, chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. So let's go ahead and read that. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. 
Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Let's pray once more. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we just, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, you reveal yourself in this way, that you allow us to draw near to you in this way, that, that uh, we get to know you. Um, and Lord, I just ask that as we work through this, ears will be opened, eyes will be opened to a true and better understanding of what it is that you would like us to gain from this specific text, Lord. And I just ask it in your son's holy name again, in Jesus Christ's holy name, I pray. So as I mentioned, we've been working through this book. Um, many of you, like I said, have been, have been following along. Some haven't. Um, I thought it best um, to kind of reestablish our footing and, and kind of almost do a, a review in some sense to get us to where we are today. And it kind of helps support, well, it will help support, and you'll see how it pushes us and launches us in today's, into today's text. So throughout, throughout this entire book, Paul emphasizes the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In chapter 1, he tells us that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And that in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. He says that those who believe in Christ are and will be made righteous in him, in Christ. He says, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And while we live by faith, we recognize that we sin and that we fall short of the glory of God, but that by the gift of God's holy grace, we are justified and redeemed in and through Jesus Christ. We know that when we receive this abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness, like we just mentioned, we reign in life, both now and forever, in and through Jesus Christ. We know that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too, now and forever, walk in newness of life. As scripture says, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. The truth is in Jesus, so put off your old self and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Put on the new self. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness, put off the old self and put on the new self which is renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator, God. One thing is clear. 
that if we are in Christ, we are to put off the old and put on the new. So what does that look like? What does it look like to put off the old, to put off the old self? To be renewed in the spirit of your mind. To walk in the newness or to walk in the new life. First and foremost, we must be in Christ. We must worship him. We learned a couple weeks ago that our spiritual worship to God is to present our bodies to him as a living sacrifice. We learn that the way in which we do that is by using the very gifts that God has given us to be involved within the local church body, to be involved here. To be God's hands and feet towards our brothers and sisters, to each other. We learned last week what the marks or the characteristics of a true Christian are. And that we don't strive to achieve those marks to earn our salvation. We strive to do them because of our salvation in Christ. Last week we learned how we are called to interact with both fellow Christians and those outside of the faith. Which leads us to today's text. Romans 13, 1 through 7. It begins with, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. I guess it's obvious who we'll be talking about today and who we interact with. Us and the governing authorities. Many commentators believe this text actually to be out of place. Many believe that the flow of thought began in, that began in verse 9 of chapter 12 that we had previously looked at that reads, let love be genuine would would mesh much better and more succinctly with what will be presented next week in chapter 13, verse 8, as it begins, Owe no one anything except to love each other. You can see or you can hear why some commentators would think that that this, as the topic of love, is common between these two sections and they just flow together more succinctly. So why would Paul place this text here about the governing authorities. However, there is, there is a succinct flow of thought here from Paul. And it is addressing how we approach and interact with, as I've said, the governing authorities. If you remember from last week, the text starting in verse 18 and ending in verse 21 reads, if you would like to turn there, you can. You don't necessarily have to. Again, I'm looking at last week's text, chapter 12, verses 18 through 21, and it reads, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not ever be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Here we are introduced to not only the concept of living peaceably with all, which I will come back to later in the sermon, but Paul also begins to address the topic of vengeance and the wrath of God. He instructs us to never avenge ourselves, but to leave it to the wrath of God. 
He quotes Deuteronomy 32:35, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. For many, this may seem unsatisfying. Depending upon what some have experienced, what maybe even you have experienced. If someone stole something from you, or more so, if someone committed a horrible crime against you or a loved one, the desire to carry out vengeance may be difficult to restrain. Yet Paul goes on to tell us, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. When I read this text, I'm reminded of an incident that occurred a while back in a church. Maybe some of you will remember it. Um, I will say it's it's PG-13, I guess. It's not not extremely graphic, but it is disheartening, so I just kind of want to give a heads up. It was back in 2015 at a church in Charleston, South Carolina. There was a group meeting for a Bible study, and there was a guy that showed up at the Bible study. He hadn't been around there before. They didn't recognize him, but they welcomed him in with open arms. And he sat there all the way through the Bible study. And as they were closing out in prayer, he pulled out a gun and started shooting. He killed nine, injured one. He was eventually caught and arrested. And there there was a bond hearing held where the judge invited family members of the victim to address him. And the husband of one of the victims came forward. And he said, and I'm not, I don't know that I'll give it justice, but he said, you know, I forgive you. My family forgives you. But we would like you to take this opportunity to repent. Repent. Confess. Give your life to the one that matters the most, Christ. The shooter was eventually sentenced to the death penalty. And this is clearly an example of overcoming evil with good. There is no doubt there. And it is one that stunned many, especially those who are not in Christ. They couldn't understand what it was he was doing. But the eventual outcome of the arrest, hearing, conviction, and sentencing also applies to our text today. It is an example of the God-ordained purpose of governing authorities. What we must recognize about the governing authorities is that first and foremost, they are instituted by God. This is not an unfamiliar concept. Throughout the Old Testament, we see this same teaching over and over again. In Proverbs verses eight, or chapter 8, verses 15 through 16, you don't have to turn there with me, but just as an example, it is said, By me, meaning God, by God, kings reign, and rulers decree what is just. By me, again, meaning God, by God, princes rule, and nobles all govern justly. Throughout the entire book of Daniel, we see this theme. In Daniel 2.21, and speaking of the Lord, he says, He changes times and seasons, he removes kings and sets up kings. When Daniel was interpreting King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he said in chapter 2, verse 37, You, O king, the king of kings, 
to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory. When Daniel later interpreted writing for King Belshazzar, he said this, O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of that greatness that he gave him, meaning God gave it to him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he, meaning King Nebuchadnezzar, would be, would, whom he would, he killed. King Nebuchadnezzar, that is. Whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. And whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken away from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew. And this is the most important part. All of that happened to King Nebuchadnezzar until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. There are numerous other Old Testament writings that also reiterate this point. And of course, the governing authorities being instituted by God is, is seen in the New Testament, not only here in our text in Romans, but also in 1 Peter 2, 13 through 14. And it's going to sound pretty familiar because Peter's trying to get the same point across that, that Paul is here. And he says, be subject to... For the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him, by the Lord, by God, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. And probably, probably the most definitive text on the topic comes from Jesus himself speaking with Pontius Pilate. In the book of John, chapter 19 Verses 10 through 11, we see this exchange between Pilate and Christ as Christ is preparing to be crucified. All of these fake trials to set him up and cast him as guilty. And Pilate says to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority, authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. So clearly, we see that governing authorities are instituted by God. But why? What is the purpose of governing authorities? We can turn both to our texts and to the text from chapter 12 that I mentioned earlier to determine what God's purpose is for the governing authorities. If you remember in chapter 12, verse 19, we were instructed to never avenge ourselves, but to leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. When we look at our text, we find the governing authority is the servant of God, an avenger, who carries out vengeance. God's wrath on the wrongdoer. We remember the story that I just told you a few moments ago about the church shooting in South Carolina. 
we remember the way in which the governing authorities handled the shooter. From the legislation that makes murder illegal, to the police officer who made the arrest, to the prosecuting attorney, to the judge who sentenced the shooter to the death penalty, we see the God-ordained purpose of the governing authorities operating in the way that God intended them to. Paul tells us that the governing authorities are a terror to bad conduct. He tells us that they have authority to punish with the sword. He says that they are commissioned to carry out God's wrath on the wrongdoer on this side of eternity. God instituted human government at large to provide structure for human society. Specifically, he instituted government to keep evil at bay and allow good to flourish. For this reason, we pay taxes. Jesus was pretty clear when asked about taxation. He said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. So what should be our posture toward governing authorities? The answer to this question is directly related and influenced by our identity in Christ. If you remember when I, when I started this message, we talked about when we are in Christ, we worship him with the way that we live. So how do we live with the governing authorities in a way that worships, honors, and glorifies God? The answer to this question begins to be answered in verse 1 of this chapter. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. What does Paul mean by being subject to governing authorities? Does he mean that we blindly obey whatever they instruct us to do? That we mindlessly surrender to every mandate or decree? Does it mean that we are uncritically obedient? It does not. In fact, the word translated here as to be subject or submit is the same word used in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 21. When Paul instructs Christians to relate to one another by, quote, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You can see that if that quote meant obey one another out of reverence for Christ, life with our Christians, brothers and sisters could potentially become quite chaotic if we were all trying to obey each other. It doesn't even sound right when I say it, right? It's, it's a quite confusing. So then what does it mean to submit to one another out of the reverence of Christ and in turn to be subject to the governing authorities? Also, may I add, in reverence to Christ. Because just as we are to submit to one another out of reverence of Christ, we are to be subject to the governing authorities in reverence to Christ. To be in submission or subject to someone in this way is to take on the posture of consciously placing oneself under another to place their desires or needs above our own. I'll repeat that, and I'm actually going to even try to flesh it out a little bit more for you. To be in submission or subject to someone in this way is to take on the posture of consciously placing oneself under another to place their desires or needs above our own. It is what verse 10 in chapter 12 means when it says, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. It is living a lifestyle in which we place others above ourselves, 
esteeming others higher than ourselves, to serve rather than to be served. To live in Christ, to live as Jesus did. The Son of Man came to be served, or, (laughs) sorry, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. This is the posture that is being emphasized here pertaining to governing authorities, primarily because their authority comes not from human intellect or installation, not from the created creature, but from the creator, from God himself. We respect and honor them because we respect and honor God. If possible, so far as it depends on you, meaning on us, live peaceably with all. Verse 12, or chapter 12, verse 18. This posture of submission or subject to another allows for us to do just that. The question then is, do we live that way? Do we live in a way that is not only submissive or subjective to governing authorities, but also to our brothers and sisters in Christ, as well as those outside of the faith? As it pertains to the governing authorities, our motivation to live and subject to them should not be driven by the fear of potential condemning judgment or terror or the sword or to avoid God's wrath. That is what people who are not in Christ should be motivated by. But if we are in Christ, we should be motivated more so by a clear conscience before God. Paul mentions being in subjection to the governing authorities for the sake of conscience at the end of verse 5. If we are in Christ and we are continually drawing near to him through his word, prayer, and fellowship with one another, if we are presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice to God, we should be undergoing a transformation exhibited by a renewed mind that is able to discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. The discerning function of our conscience allows us to determine what, to what extent obedience is tied to being subject to the governing authorities. As Grant Osborne concluded in his commentary on Romans, the believer respects and submits in every way possible except when the government asks something contrary to God's will. We see this discerning God-word conscience exercised throughout Scripture. We see it in Daniel. We see it with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We see it in many other aspects. But probably the most well-known would be that from the book of Acts with the apostles, where they're brought before a governing council and told that they could no longer evangelize, that they could no longer speak about Jesus. But Peter... The apostle answers, we must obey God rather than men. There will be times that the government will step outside the bounds of God's intended purpose for it. Uh, If you want to come on up, Nate, I'm, I'm wrapping up here. I was trying to think of a few examples, and so I'm just going to kind of run through them and, and um, 
it may irk some sensitivities, but I think I, I, it's definitely where the government kind of stepped out of bounds. We witnessed recently that when churches were labeled as non-essential businesses, that liquor stores and marijuana dispensaries and some other questionable businesses were allowed to remain open and were labeled essential, or at least they were treated that way. We have seen it for some time now in our public schools where an atheistic worldview is, is promoted through evolution and other areas of supposed science. We're seeing this now. And the Christian worldview, for most of the time, cannot even be mentioned. I recently read an article from NBC News that, essentially, that was essentially saying that a group that was asking for prayer and the Bible to be presented as an option in a public school was a hate-filled group that was anti-LGBTQ bigots who only wanted to indoctrinate the children, which is an interesting claim given what's happening in our school system right now. Our children are literally being indoctrinated, including access to some materials that are borderline pornographic. And if you're not aware of this, I would, I would say get familiar. Because look around, it's not hard to notice. I've seen some people that represent Christ standing up at school board meetings before them and reading these materials in the school board meetings will make, have them stop because they don't want them to read the materials. So if it's so explicit that it can't be read before the school board, it probably shouldn't be read or presented to our children. Church, we can submit to or subject to the governing authority in the posture that I explained earlier, but we must exercise our God-given conscience of discernment when it's acting outside of its God-given authority. We consciously submit or are subject to governing authorities to honor God, ultimately to glorify and honor him. I'm gonna tell you a story and then I'm gonna wrap up. I would guess that many of you remember where you were on September 11th, 2001. And if you weren't <laughs> born yet uh, or not around, I would hope you know what happened that day. The World Trade Centers were attacked in New York City. Many, many women and men sacrificed their lives that day, rescuing others. But one specific story has always stuck out to me. And I'm probably going to butcher his last name, so bear with me. But I believe the gentleman's name was Rick Rasorla. And you may have heard this story before. At the time of the attack, he was the president for corporate security at Morgan Stanley Dean Witter and Company. And their office was located on the 44th floor of World Trade Center Tower 2. Rick was a military vet. He served in British Armed Forces and earned a commission as an officer in the U.S. Army. He had received extensive training to oversee corporate security with Morgan Stanley, and he had warned the Port Authority of the possibility of an attack on the basement prior to the 1993 bombing. And he was one of the ones that led the evacuation when that one took place. He warned Morgan Stanley of the possibility of another attack, and he even suggested that they move, but they didn't. So he took it upon himself to lead these no-notice emergency evacuation drills every three months. And you got to think, I bet he was a ray of sunshine to these people on the 44th floor being like, let's get out of here and running these drills, right? Until they had to put it into action. 
on September 11th. But here's the interesting part of the story. If you remember, I said they were in building two. So when Tower 1 was struck, Rick wanted to evacuate. But someone from the Port Authority ordered him to keep their people where they were. Rick, with all of his training, we need gospel training, family. Rick, with all of his training, ignored the order and ordered an immediate evacuation directing more than 2,700 people to safety before the second plane hit Tower 2. He got most of Morgan Stanley's 2,700 employees and hundreds of visitors down those stairwells and out before the second plane hit Tower 2. Only six of Morgan Stanley's employees died that day. One of them being Rick as he continued to help others to escape. So why do I tell this story? I tell you this because Rick, although he disobeyed the orders of the governing authorities, he was subject to or submissive to others in the truest meaning of the term. That should be our posture, church. We should be subject to and submissive not only to the governing authorities, but to one another, to people that do not know him, that do not know our Lord and Savior. It is a posture in which we place ourselves consciously below someone else. To take on the posture of a servant. That is what we're called to. Jesus said it himself. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. He died on that cross, crucified for us, so that we may one day be with him. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I thank you for what you reveal in your word. I thank you for sometimes pushing us out of our comfort zone and making us look at a text that maybe we thought we truly understood and we were firmly standing in and being awakened to a new understanding. Letting the veil fall off and seeing that everything that we do is to honor and glorify you. You put them in place. You call us to honor and glorify certain positions, governing authorities, but you don't call us to honor and glorify and to serve them any more than you call us to honor and glorify and to serve each other as fellow brothers and sisters in faith and to serve those who are so lost and they're looking to this world for guidance. And this world is giving them these shifting sands. They tell them the reality is this way one moment. And the reality is this way the next moment. When the solid rock, the solid rock of understanding of Jesus Christ that never changes. That we can stand firmly 
upon him. Lord God, I ask that you, that you will awaken us as your church. And I'm not just talking about our local body here, Lord. I'm talking about your church globally, that you will awaken us to who you are, your standard that you set in place, that we can be in you, that we find our identity in you. You are who we are. We are who you are when we recognize that. Lord God, let us be that. Let us be in you. Let us find comfort in you. Let us draw near to you. Lord, I ask that you influence and that you change every aspect of our lives, that we will love like you loved, but that we will love from a position of truth. And the truth is in you. <laughs> and I guess the old adage is the truth will set you free. Lord God, I just pray over every single individual in this room, Lord God, if they don't know you, I pray that they will come to know you today. Lord God, for everyone that is in here and they do know you, I ask that they will draw near to you in a way that maybe they haven't drawn near to you before. That they will just push in. That they will allow some understanding or some cultural norms or whatever it is to just fall off. That their sole purpose in life will be to live for you. Lord God, bless, keep, watch over everyone as they leave here today. I ask it in your son's holy name. In Jesus Christ's holy name I pray. Amen.